is Isabella, and this is Forgotten Souls. So I was supposed to have a co-host, and um, we recorded it like three different times, and it just ended up that I don't know how to edit videos, so I'm just going to do this by myself today. Um, today, I will be discussing the case of missing five-year-old Era Denise Johnson, and the man that ended up confessing to her m- murder named the boogeyman by media so a little background information on aura these were found on the charlie project and ourblackgirls.com that i mentioned in my last podcast which is once again a fantastic website and everyone should definitely check it out if you're interested in cases of black women that were underreported so Ara Denise Johnson was born on March 26, 1981, and she was the child to James and Ophelia Johnson. She was an only child, and they lived in Big Sandy, Texas, which is about 100 miles outside of Dallas. That town had a population of less than 2,000 people at the time and is predominantly white. Big Sandy, Texas has a fairly low crime rate, and this time of crime was basically unheard of in the town at the time of Ara's disappearance. Ara and her family were of low income and they resided in a trailer home. At the time of disappearance, she was five years old and she had a really cute nickname. She sometimes went by Nisi. She was a black female with black hair, brown eyes, and her front bottom teeth are missing at the time of her disappearance. There was no other information I could find about our short-lived life, unfortunately. Um, Like we will run into, I'm sure, and where I ran into my last podcast, there is very little information about most of the cases I will be covering, but I will try my best to get as much background information and as much information about the case as well as possible. Um, So, on the early hour, in the early hours, of April 2nd, 1986, James, James Johnson looks in on his sleeping daughter in her bedroom of their mobile home before heading to bed himself around 1 to 2 a.m. Totally typical night, nothing to note, and he goes to bed with his wife. So the next morning they wake up and it's around 6.30 and it's every parent's worst nightmare. Ours is gone. They quickly discover that the back door of their home is wide open, and not only is Ara missing, but so is her orange comforter. There is nothing else missing from the home or her bedroom, no signs of a struggle, and no signs of forced entry. Other than their missing daughter and open back door, the home is otherwise undisturbed. The parents also report that they didn't hear anything during the night, which at first raised a flag for me thinking maybe somehow the parents were involved or it had to be someone that intimately knew her, Ara, and her family. However, um, they really didn't look into anyone and they didn't look into the parents until 2007. So, Ara was never seen again and today she'd be 38 years old. The Johnsons immediately call the police, who do a preliminary search of the home and surrounding areas, which yields completely nothing. They also use scent tracking dogs, who ultimately do not pick Ara's scent anywhere near the home, and I believe they also used horses to see if they could find any evidence within close proximity of the home, 
and it yields nothing. Due to no signs of a break-in or a struggle, police believe initially that whoever took Ara knew her and her family's regular habits and may have even been someone they knew intimately, like I said before. There is no other information available about Nisi's case in the early days of the investigation. The case got very little media attention and I couldn't find a list of suspects or anything else. I couldn't find any media co- media articles that it was com- there was completely nothing about this case so a couple bodies end up being found on december 22nd 1988 over two years after ara's disappearance the badly decomposed body of a young girl is discovered in ware county georgia this is 850 miles away from big city texas the body is in a suitcase filled with cement that is placed inside of a TV console. The cause of death was undetermined due to the advanced stage of decomposition. However, they cannot determine. However, they could determine that the child had black curly hair and pigtails, which is what Ara's hair was in when she went missing. They all could, also could determine that the child was as young as three years old and female. They later determined that this was not Ara and this body is never identified. Again, her family's hopes are up because in 2011, child's remains were found in Upshur County, Texas. These remains were eventually also determined not to be hers. For almost two decades, Ara's case goes completely cold until a man named David Elliot Penton becomes a person of interest in 2007. Not only is David already in jail in Ohio for rape and murder of a nine-year-old, but he's also in suspicion for two other missing Texan girls. Their names are Amber Crumb and Angelica Gondera. So who is David Elliot Penton? Naturally, there was a lot more information about the trash seal rapist and killer that there was about any of the lives that he took. David Elliot Penton was nicknamed the Boogeyman by media because he abducted, raped, and murdered five to nine girls as young as three years old. Police thinks he could be responsible for over 50 missing children cases. He was every parent's worst nightmare. The Boogeyman they wanted to warn their children about. The fiend that lurked outside their bedroom windows. So, what could this guy have possibly gone through as a child to make him this way? Well, nature versus nurture. Let's give some background. David was born on February 9th, 1958 in Columbus, Ohio. He was mainly raised by his single mother because his father went to work one day and never came back, abandoning his two young children. Trash. David was the eldest child and had a younger sister. When he was six months old, he was ejected from his mom's car during an accident and was in a coma for several weeks. So I was a psychology undergrad and I've actually went in and searched a little more about the statistics on children who hit their heads early in life and becoming a serial killer. Um, I'm also super into true crime, obviously, so I've there's a lot of different serial killers who have history of 
traumatic brain injury as a young child. So um, I found that statistically 29% of serial killers were found to be accident-prone children. Serial killers such as Jeffrey Dahmer and Richard Ramirez also experienced a traumatic brain injury as a child. So that's just something that I thought was kind of interesting. After the accident, his mother doted on him. His sister claims that he could do no wrong in the eyes of his mother and she would always take his side if they had an argument. At first, he seems pretty normal. Then eventually, he begins to behave differently. He reportedly could, his mood could reportedly flip like a light switch from being normal to abusive and violent, especially towards his younger sister. I found on an ID show called Most Evil, which now I'm definitely going to binge because I love ID, that he hung his sister by the feet over a balcony once, threatening to drop her. I can't even imagine what his little sister went there growing up with this evil dude. So, David drops out of high school at the age of 17 and joins the army. He was stationed in Fort Hood, Texas, where he initially excelled and quickly made his way from a mechanic to a surgeon. Still at a young age, he marries a woman named Catherine, who had a child from a previous marriage. They eventually have a daughter together. In 1979, Catherine files for divorce from David because she discovers that he's been molesting her daughter as well as their own infant daughter. Catherine, in an interview, later reports that she also found him torturing and killing small animals, which we all know is signs of a serial killer to be. Also, he molested his own infant son, so that should be red flags all over the place. So... Penton is stationed in Korea for some time, and during his time in Korea, he begins soliciting young prostitutes. In an interview, someone was saying he was denying that he liked children, but he blatantly admitted to soliciting prostitutes, saying they might have been underage, claiming that they carry less diseases. Disgusting. He also begins abusing drugs at this time, and rumors circulated that he may have killed some of these girls, but it's kind of hard to track because of the profession they were in, the time, um, and stuff like that. So, in 1980, he remarries a local from Korea, and they have two kids together, a daughter and a son. Around this time, Penn is demoted in the army for storing alcohol in his locker and lying about his marital status to obtain benefits he was not entitled to. So he starts getting in trouble. His career starts falling apart. And as his career is falling apart, after just four years of marriage, in 1984, David kills his two-month-old son by violently shaking him when he would not stop crying. His wife leaves him shortly after, and he's charged for the murder of his infant son, and he is dishonorably discharged. In 1985, he is, for some reason, granted a delayed sentence after pleading to manslaughter, and he makes bail and flees, becoming a fugitive from the law in a creepy white pedo van. He drives to Dallas, where young girls begin to go missing between the years of 1986 and 1988. 
and and he tends to go for low-income neighborhoods because he thinks of these children as throwaway kids and believed it'd be easier for him to get away with abducting them because they wouldn't be as missed which is half of the reason why i'm doing this podcast i definitely want to focus on cases that weren't focused on or lacked appropriate investigation and media attention because um you know they're people of color or males i think also tend to be less reported which i will begin covering some male people of color i think i should do that in the next episode since i've done two girls so far but um so here's the beginning of when children start going missing on january 19th 1985 after meticulously stalking his prey David Elliott Penton abducts a five-year-old named Christy Lynn Meeks while she's playing outside of her mother's apartment complex in Mesquite, Texas. This is around the Dallas area. He offers her candy or cookies and he lures her back to his van where he punches her in the stomach so she cannot scream. He takes her to a secondary location. He rapes Christy and strangles her to death. Her body is found three months later floating in Lake Tacoma, Tacoma, Tacoma and she's identified two weeks later. Just one year after Christy Meeks goes missing, on February 15, 1986, another girl goes missing. She's nine-year-old Christy Diane Proctor, and she disappears while walking home from a friend's house. Her body isn't discovered for two years, and she's found in a field. The autopsy shows that she was raped, and her cause of death was strangulation. So this is when um, I, be- I think that investigators start realizing that they have some cases that are starting to look similar. However, David's elusive. Unfortunately, he's smart, and he is- stays completely under their radar. Again, another little girl goes missing in November 3rd, 1987. Four-year-old Roxanne Hope Reyes is taking while playing is taken while playing with friends outside of her home. She is found six months later and is also strangled and was sexually assaulted. Investigators are stumped and cannot find a lead or evidence as to who killed these girls, but there is one thing that they're sure of. They have a serial killer and he's killing young girls. So finally, David fucks up. He ends up going after on March 31st, 1988, a nine-year-old girl named Nigel Ross. I guess he goes back to Dayton, Ohio, where he is from, and he has friends there. And Nigra is one of his friend's daughters. She goes missing and while she's visiting relatives, and David is seen talking with her that day. So he quickly becomes a prime suspect of her disappearance, but obviously denies being involved. Her body is found months later, which gives police probable cause to arrest Penton. He initially denies killing Nydra. However, when he is being held in jail for trial, he begins bragging to his jailmates about killing over 50 children. This is when investigators start to put pieces together. They start suspecting him of killing Christy Meeks, Christy Proctor, and Roxanne Reyes because of where he was located during the time of their disappearances and murders. 
On May 10th, 1990, Penn is indicted on charges of kidnapping and killing Niger Ross. Finally, a year later, this monster is sentenced to life in prison for the murder of Nidra. A year after that, he's questioned about the murders of Christy Meeks, but he denies involvement. In 2000, it's not until 2003 that Texas police file a capital murder charge against 45-year-old David Elliott Penton in the kidnapping and murders of Christy Proctor and Roxanne Reyes. They're shooting for the death penalty. Penton ends up signing a, a plea agreement to the murders of all three girls to avoid death row. This is a direct quote from him. I did not kill Roxanne Reyes, Christy Proctor, or Christy Meeks. I only signed the plea agreements because I would be sitting on death row right now in Texas, and here I might have a chance that someone will listen to me. So he will complete his sentence in Ohio, where he will be eligible for parole in 2027. After completing his punishment in Ohio, Mr. Pelton will serve three consecutive life sentences in Texas. He continues to adamantly deny murdering any children, and it's not until 2007 that Ara fits into this timeline. In 2007, because of Penton's bragging to his cellmates, her cases split wide open after being completely cold for over two decades. While serving life in prison for Niger Ross's murder, David mentions R. Denise Johnson to his soulmate. Texas police realized that Penton was killing girls around the same time in Dallas as the disappearance of Ara, who was less than 100 miles away from the three other murders. They also begin to suspect Penton of two other murders around the Dallas area. The two murders are of Angelica Gandara, who was 11 and went missing in July of 1985, and two-year-old Amber Nicole Crum, who went missing in 1983 after other inmates come forward and he brags them about killing the girls. Apparently, Penton was saying things about these disappearances and murders that only the person that did it could have known, and it was more than one cellmate that came forward. He won't come... He wouldn't come right out and admit the crimes, but the inmates all had specific information about each missing girl. The Collin County District Attorney's Office was prepared to move forward with capital murder trial against Penton and seek for the death penalty again. Unfortunately, Penton is never charged with the murders of Ara, Amber, and Angelica, but he ends up signing another plea deal admitting to the murders to again spare death penalty. So that is basically where this case ends. Um, Ara is never found. Her killer is not serving any time for her her disappearance or murder, even though he did admit to it. And he is sitting for four life sentences. I believe that her family probably feels as though they didn't get any closure. Um, they were never. Her family wasn't even polygraphed into two thousand and seven, and. I believe that her father died before ever finding out what happened to his daughter. So this is the case of Ara Denise Johnson and the terrible monster that took the lives of at least five to nine girls and possibly over 50 more lives. Thanks for listening.